you are listening to an episode of Back Row Movie News. The podcast name and scope has changed. It is now the Broken Record Podcast, uh, but you can still enjoy the past episodes of Back Row Movie News on this feed. Make sure you follow uh, the Broken Record Podcast or Podcast Broken Record. Depends on what social media site on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook for updates on future episodes. Welcome to the Best Seat in House, everybody. I'm Chase Coupo. Now, the lead-up to Prometheus was great for a lot of reasons for me. But one aspect that may have been overlooked by some general audiences is the extensive marketing material that was used. There was a, a whole campaign on the internet designed as like an extension of Prometheus in the world of Alien. There was a website, which for the life of me I can't find, that was like the hub for everything Alien and Prometheus in like 2011 and 2012. I am pretty sure it was Building Better Worlds, but it might have been WaylandIndustries.com. That seems right for some reason, but I can't find it. Whatever. A website. Guy Pierce's Peter Wayland, a younger version than the Peter we saw in the film, still played by Pierce, had a surprisingly heavy presence in the marketing campaign. His most notable time came in a short film of sorts, featured Wayland giving a TED Talk. It was a really popular clip, and it was pretty well done. I mean, simple in scope and what it was trying to say, but it was a nice authentic sort of piece of this expanding universe. He was presented as a visionary, a leader of the world in this timeline, someone who was already one of the smartest, richest, and most powerful men in the world, announcing his plans to take on the stars, take off to the stars himself. He focused on the mythology of Prometheus to allude to himself. It was real nice and artsy. Well, not real artsy, but you know, artsy. Numi Rapace's Elizabeth Shaw also got her time, most notably in some brief videos on the, on the website in which she attempted to get into contact with Wayland and present her and Charlie's findings on the engineers. They'd been trying for years to get a response because uh, they knew he was the one who could get them where they were trying to go. Her transmissions included a really fun Easter egg where the screen would sort of glitch out and there would be interference and Yutani's logo and info would flash. So Yutani was trying to hack Wayland Industries. Uh, but this is before they merged, before Wayland Yutani was a thing. Prometheus took place before this merger and it created the, it created the famous Wayland Yutani of the alien universe. Well, it started as Wayland Yutani, then they added the D. Uh, Yutani didn't play into the film like at all, like literally not whatsoever. But it was a nice hint that showed that there was care for this cinematic universe and how the timeline was being set up. Along with the ex existential themes that were present in the marketing, there were hints of corporate espionage and infighting. Wayland really presented an interesting window, I guess, um, being great. Like, you know, what it takes to be the best in the corporate world or in the political world or the social world. How that power influences one, how it influences everyone, and what Wayland does with that power or does not do. There's an interesting window there. Wayland was, had the potential to be a really interesting character. So, to say the word interesting again, there were some, take a shot every time I do, there were some interesting ideas being highlighted as we got closer to the release of the movie. But, I think the absolute pivot, you gotta pivot from the world of Prometheus to the world of Alien Covenant was not shocking, but jarring. The simplest way to put it is that the world was, it felt like it was beginning to prosper before Prometheus, and Peter Willen was like a god, and when Ridley Scott started working on Covenant, and he decided, he decided seemingly that humanity is absolute ass, and the earth is dying. 
Peter Whalen registered Whalen Corp. in October 2012, and it became the first company to make $100 billion within five years. Technological advancement was the main claim to fame for Whalen and his kingdom. He literally created, or okay, well, the people that worked in his company did, and then he, um, excuse me, he, uh, not co I guess copyrighted it, whatever. Uh, they, they created a way Whalen Industries effectively stopped and reversed global warming like that was that was canon for a hot second like before uh the release of prometheus and then the deleted scenes after and then the interviews before all the canon got all messed up immediately that was like that was a thing it was it was very they used very early atmospheric processing technology and they utilized it at like the polar ice cap to stop and reverse global warming like money was being made I mean, the world wasn't being painted as perfect, and I think the corporate control in, Prometheus, in the Prometheus universe would obviously still be pretty fucked. I mean, all the powers at the top, the living conditions for minorities and a lot of people is still probably horrible, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So the world was probably still awful, still a shit show, right? Two-bit bullshit. But outwardly, and for like a good number of people in society, it seemed to be all gravy. Wayland was the head of probably the most dominant entity in the corporate and political landscape, and he was saving the world straight up. He was also at the absolute forefront of interstellar travel and began to work on colonization and continued to make technological advancements to help humanity and make the world a better place. Then comes Alien Covenant. Love the movie. More and more my problems with this movie become just... interests. I was going to phrase that using the words, one of the many problems I have with this film is... da-da-da-da. But Covenant truly does have a lot to say and it was crafted well. It's profound and it's entertaining to boot. So as I continue to live with this film and its ideas and I, I grow and learn and change, these problems I have with it, m more of them become just things to think about and process. Less problems, more aspects, I guess. I'll still never really like the plot decision to go the way they went following the immense potential that Prometheus set up, but hey, I love the film. And now I'm, I'm focusing on how the world building of the Alien franchise or the universe changed as they wrote and designed this film. We'll start in the real world, if you want to call it that. I find it funny how Scott is so prolific and one of his strong suits seems to be the attention to detail in terms of design with screen direction and, and, and character and outfit design and other small things. They evolved throughout his individual films, like throughout the film, but what, especially watching the behind the scenes of both Covenant and Prometheus, it makes it clear to me that Scott is very in tune with his story and films. It doesn't always feel like that when you think of when I think of some of the negative aspects of the film and, and when I'm discussing them or thinking about them, but Covenant is very clearly a descendant of the ideas and visual designs of Prometheus, even if it was a pretty wild left turn in terms of story and certain design choices. But they made that choice. So the design of, like, uh, the clothes and the spacesuits, uh, the ship designs, the creatures, like the classic art and societal references. So much of this is very carefully crafted to create a cohesive universe. Now, there are aspects where this lacks. Timelines don't add up. Previous previously established popular fan theories or even previously teased lore and ideas from the people actually making these movies and whatnot seem to be lost in the pursuit of trying to get the story right. Now, in theory, that is fine. That's fine. The goal is to make a good movie, a story worth telling. Like, hell yeah. Covenant doesn't get that pass, though, because I don't think it was a story they should have gone with. I don't think the sacrifices to achieve certain commercial success or 
to try to cater to certain storytelling cues and, and critical and fan outrage from the previous movies movies were worth it. So one of these interests I have with this film is how the lore of the universe changed during the time period. The lore of the universe around this time period of when Covenant and Prometheus take place changed so dramatically from the initial Prometheus timeline. So Prometheus takes place in 2093. Covenant takes place in 2104. For kicks, make a little mental note that Alien takes place in 2122. Covenant itself, not including the information from the official prequel book that I will speak on in just a little bit here, it paints a more dire situation for humanity. Prometheus was, I guess, almost straight sci-fi in a lot of in a lot of a lot of ways. I mean, the themes and some of the questions raised by the characters' objectives and you know, they're horrifying, and there's horror in this movie, but, you know, it's big and mystical, and it's about discovery, and it, it was almost like a a weird ethereal sort of thing going on. Maybe maybe that's the word I want compared to Covenant. Even in terms of design, the film goes from grand and wondrous to, to Covenant going dark, practical, and, and scary. And instead of, like, looking for answers, these characters, they're people on a mission— who have to stop because of an ominous possible SOS. They aren't asking the same questions like as us initially. I feel like Prometheus kind of includes the audience as a character in a way. It's almost like a first-person point of view in a way uh, because uh, the search for our creators and trying to find a cure for death or, or whatever question you want to pull out of the movie are things that we're kind of viewing and asking and receiving answers. Well, the film doesn't answer much, but, you know, along with the characters. In Covenant, by the time Shaw's beacon or recording reaches Tennessee's comms, I mean, what we're wondering and hoping and thinking about deviates completely from the characters. Well, not completely, but it deviates. I mean, we have main characters that are taking us through the story and that the filmmakers are trying to get us to empathize with. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm I'm sitting throughout the movie wondering how David cre David created the scarabs, how he synthesized the eggs. Did he create them or did he, the engineers? Is he malfunctioning? Is he... Is he malevolent? Is he wrong? Is he right? Is this the engineer's homeworld? Why do they look different from the first? Uh, who created the engineers? Did Shaw get her answers? Like, the films are so different because the world feels similar, and it's an extension of Prometheus still, but humanity and their situation is so different. I mean, maybe I'm naive, but it seems as if we go from a sort of vibrant and hopeful Earth in 2093 to a degraded, trash-ridden, dying Earth in 2104. When Walter confronts David in Covenant after he finds Shaw's body, David lays it out on the table that he doesn't like humanity, he thinks they fucking suck, and he wants to create something new, and before that, he wants to wipe out humanity first. You know, the clean slate. Uh, he says that they are a dying species. Why else would they be on this colon Why else would they have you on this colonization mission? I think there's other reasons, such as like science and politics and stuff, to colonize, but humanity is dying is what Ridley Scott is getting on about here. His fascination with AI, uh, what we create, how we create, how we interact with it, and how it acts, feels, changes. Covenant paints a world in which humanity is the final stages of running down the earth. They're just killing it. They are stabbing it. We, it the earth is in the shower, and uh, the humans are fucking uh, peeling the curtain back and stabbing the shit out of it. They're reaching out and they're journeying now after we've killed it. As we're stabbing the Earth, we're also reaching out and journeying out to new stars with the hopes of starting anew. I just got to say also, side no sidebar, uh, that it pisses me off so 
fucking bad that Sergeant Lope is smoking a stogie and Ledward is smoking and throwing his cigarette butts on the ground after they've been on this new planet that they're thinking now about colonizing instead of the other one for like two seconds. Like, Christ, man, treat a planet like you actually want to live on it for once, huh? Goddamn. So, the sort of paradise, relatively speaking, that I think is kind of painted as a kicking off point in Prometheus is a living hell by the time Covenant's events take place. Covenant points to a dying Earth, but the 2017 novel Alien Covenant Origins, great title, huh? Ugh, truly and plainly, <laughs> plainly lays out a dying world. Uh, this is a prequel novel written by Alien and science fiction and horror uh, alumni Al Alan Dean Foster. I almost said Alien <laughs> Dean Foster. Ooh, wow, you know what? There's a little joke there, huh? But anyways, Foster, he has a lot of great work out there, man. Absolutely recommend most of his novels. Unfortunately, this book is not one of those great works. According to Amazon's official listing, the synopsis is an original novel. Origins is the official chronicle of the events that led up to Alien Covenant. It also reveals the world the colonists left behind. The Covenant mission is the most ambitious endeavor in the history of Weyland-Yutani. So that's an Amazon synopsis. Uh, Sergeant Lope from the movie and Private Rosie are the main characters, I'd say. Well, they're the two names that I remember, at least. Rosie gets the last open position on the Covenant security team. She, like, interviews, or she's about to interview with Lope early on in the novel. Uh, the two spend their time in the novel trying to neutralize a threat to sabotage the mission before it leaves. Uh, there's a there's a, another plot line about some corporate espionage dealing with Wayland yutani with the merger coming kind of, sort of, recently in the universe's timeline. Um, it was probably back in, like, 2095 or whatever. I don't know. Uh, the novel sucks because there's too much to juggle and there's a few too many storylines with not a lot of focus being able to be placed on the good parts or the interesting parts. We do also get some time with Captain Branson, Rip, and a few other Covenant crew members that don't get time to shine in the movie. Although, to be fair, Branson's fiery death is pretty bright. The saboteurs in the novel are a group of, I don't know, I guess we'll call them domestic terrorists, who follow the lead of a prophetic individual who has horrible nightmares of monsters, or as he calls them, demons. He basically seems to have a sort of psychic link with the Xenomorph Hive mind, in a way. Which we have seen such a thing several times in comics and books past, including in a recent novel that's considered canon. Um, I forget, it's not River of Pain, it's the other one. But so, they're doing a little double dipping there. It really, it just comes across as fucking stupid. It just, that aspect feels like the thing that Foster came up with, or, or maybe that was just the, the, seemed like the main idea. And it seems like that's what they really wanted to work with, but I so I get the I get the vibe that Foster that was his thing, and then Fox seemingly mandated to mandated him to include the other three storylines or plot elements, and it ended up muddling the story. And I feel like that doesn't usually happen with books, you know. Like Hollywood movies are subject to it, especially franchise films. Telling stories in movies is is so robust compared to books. And there are so many problems crafting a, a satisfying story with the business side of things always creating pressure and, and limitations. Foster's prequel novel seems to have fallen victim to studio interference, if you ask me. But I don't know that story for sure. I'm just kind of, this is just conjecture. So the book does go out of its way to describe the dying world that is Earth. Sergeant Lope and his fucking stogies is the person we see the world through in this, in this section. There's like, there's a trash problem there. Trash lines a lot of the streets. There's an awful stench in sections of the city that they're in. The river there stinks. It's, it's discolored and it's clearly contaminated with all kinds of pollutants and crap. Clean water is an issue in areas. I believe that clean air, like in bottles or whatever, is sold. I think that's in this book. Huh. 
Well, listen to this excerpt from the novel. More rain. Lope didn't mind the rain so much. In fact, he hoped there would be decent rain on Oregai 6. He enjoyed the feel of it, the smell of it. Sadly, the rain in the greater London area hadn't felt or smelled right for some decades now. Instead of fresh, ionized air, the current steady downpour stank of whatever industrial pollutant happened to dominate the local atmosphere at the moment. As for feel, occasionally there was so much superfine grit contained in the droplets that a really bad storm was capable of scouring paint. Fine for the plethora of companies large and small that had sprung up to deal with the damage, not so good for the owners and insurance companies. No wonder, he mused, not for the first time we have so many applicants for every colony slot. Persuading people to leave the planet forever would have been a hard sell in the last hundred or so years. Now the rush was to get away, in hopes of finding those things people had once taken for granted. Clean air, drinkable water, healthy soil. Indeed, cleanliness was next to godliness. And it was plain to anyone who looked around that neither held much ground on planet Earth. The crowded and overpopulated greater metropolitan areas were the worst. There was no way to keep them clean. In that respect, Greater London, despite all its problems, was better than many. He'd seen images from places like Mumbai, Nairobi, Sao Paulo, and more. Tens of millions of people in dire need of water to drink, proper sanitation, enough food, unable to even afford simple cloth masks to filter the air their lungs struggled to process. With this experience, he could have obtained a high-paying job in any of them, or anywhere else, but there was nowhere else. Nowhere like the exquisite historical images he'd pursued in videos and picture books. Oh, there were nature preserves, scattered here and there about the planet's surface. Zealously protected, they survived on the fringes of increasingly polluted terrain. But you couldn't live in a preserve. Only scientists, authorized researchers, and a few selected visitors were permitted entry. It wouldn't have worked for Lope anyway. He liked people, just not what they had done to the planet. Spending the rest of his life standing guard over a patch of rainforest or isolated island didn't appeal to him. Hallett was in full agreement. If they're going to enjoy the company of others in pure, untainted surroundings, it was going to have to be on another world. So they applied as a couple and had been accepted to the Covenant Colony's security team. Lope had been offered a bigger promotion. He had declined. There was no need to flash an officer's bar on a deep space colony ship. Being anointed automatically created a gulf between him and those under his command. Better to be one of the gang, a simple non-com. Sergeant suited him just fine. From the day he had been recruited, he had prepared himself to deal with many problems on board the ship itself, most of which would likely involve minor squabbles between crew members. He was likewise ready to contest any problems that might arise on the distant, unknown Orgai 6. What he had not been prepared himself for was being shot at in the lobby of the Wayland Tower in London. So I think the types of characters and the fact that there was a clear push to create more realistic, interesting, and likable characters in Covenant after the outcry from Prometheus was an important factor in this switch-up of how Earth and humanity are from one movie and the marketing materials to the next. Scott, well, I think he is at a point in which he has lost touch with some, like some, some viewers, some groups. He's, he's lost a certain amount of touch. I mean, he's reached God status in the film industry now at this age, and he's working with certain themes and questions. And he doesn't always seem worried about how his characters resonate with audiences at this point. I mean, as long as he makes the film he wants, it's what it seems. I mean, he, he's more idea-focused than character-focused right now. I don't think that's a problem per se, 
but you do need a solid story and good characters to support those ideas and beautiful visuals. Covenant tries. Damn it, did they try. Well, no, sort of. It is lazy in the aspect that they just went back to the SOS signal, alien derelict, monster. The beats that made Alien so iconic. They just used what worked before, and then they tried to paste it in with an action-filled third act, and some Promethean themes and questions in the subtext, and, and what that took up the second act of the film. They tried to mash three movies together, and it does not work. I mean, using the story beats of Alien could have worked, but they failed to craft interesting and fresh characters within that narrative. So even though the first 30 minutes is great, and it's nice to spend time with these people and see hints of who they are before they're in peril, they're ultimately paper thin and they can't really hold up for the length of the story. Plus, it becomes David's show, which I love because he is basically who or what I went to see in the theater on opening night. Uh, I mean, he takes over, what, the midpoint? So yeah, the context of these characters, the world they live in, it's a result of them. The story that Scott and his writing staff were trying to tell was based on certain ideas, themes, and these characters that they came up with. These unique characters and the tension of their mission means that the Earth they left behind had to be a shithole. I mean, I respect it. I wish that the complex backstory and lore established in the marketing materials for Prometheus weren't abandoned. I was invested in Peter Whelan's monumental achievements and the surprising sense of hope and exploration for the, goods of for the good of mankind and for the sake of discovery that was present in such an unsettling universe and a scary story. I am a huge fan of franchises and the world building and how sequels and prequels relate to each other in like every sense. So to see Prometheus go ham on that and then Covenant and its related materials go in a completely different direction, it hasn't always been my favorite aspect of life. But still, it's one of many aspects in this franchise and specifically with these prequel films that just so interesting. Ridley's got really opened up a can of worms here, and I think that there will still be more for me to unpack, learn, process, relate to, and discover up to and like past the day I die. Like I'm never going to probably see the end of this. The conversation will never end, and that's beautiful. The dire situation that the Covenant and its inhabitants and crew left behind is one that needs, I think, even more time to be analyzed just itself. It's a bleak one, and in the film Alien Covenant, one that finds its first voyage to deep space to start a new life trapped in the grips of one of the most resourceful and horrifying creations in human history. So, from Prometheus to Covenant, we go into the darkness. It's like black waves crashing over their heads. Black waves and changing tides. 